Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Scott Groves from the On The Edge Podcast, and we are here with my new friend but longtime GoBundance participant, Case Nockenhauer, which is funny because I just learned before we got started uh, of German descent, and Case means cheese, and Nockenhauer means bone crusher. So I think this podcast will just be called The Cheese Bone Crusher because that's maybe the unique, the most unique name we've had of any of our podcast guests. So uh, <laughs> yeah, Case started out as a realtor, like many of the people in GoBundance, uh, turned into an accidental investor, then turned into a flipper, now has a thriving business with you know a dozen people working for him, flipping 60 houses a week, or 60 houses a week, that'd be a little aggressive, 60, 60, <laughs> 60 houses a year, which I'm really interested to hear how that's going in 2022. We're filming this, uh, you know, August, it'll probably drop in September 2022. So really interested to hear all about what's going on in the real estate market, not there in not only in Michigan, but kind of what you feel you know, globally uh, in the United States and kind of what's going on. I know you've been traveling a lot. You got two kids uh, trying to spend at least a third of the year on the road in a very small Toyota Tacoma with four people. So I want to dig into that. But uh, Case, where did you come from? What did I miss in the 60 Second Reader's Digest introduction? You got it. No, I am a full-time investor. I've got two kids, uh, two and a half and a four and a half year old. Uh, my wife is a stay-at-home mom, uh, which is wonderful. So she sort of helps me in the business occasionally. Um, but otherwise sort of real estate, uh, everything we do surrounds the, the horizontals and verticals of real estate. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, other than that, I've got no real estate education. I had a geology degree and sort of everything I've done is just slowly pivoted to where I am. So there's been, um, what maybe some would consider some reckless turns. Uh, they, they've sort of all been slowly calculated, um, well, I got to think there is a ton of crossover between a ge geology degree and real estate, right? It's like almost sister industries. Fantastic. Yeah, septic <laughs> systems. You know, we get right, we get right into it. Amazing. So so tell us about that journey. You know, how long has it been, first of all, since you got out of college? And then how does that go from, oh, I'm going to work uh, in, in geology and sample rocks to, oh, maybe I'll do this realtor thing? Yeah. So, I mean, work for me is always kind of a balance of family. Um, you know, how, how much time do I have to put into it, but also how much money am I going to make um, in addition to, is it fun? And so when I graduated college uh, at, with a geology degree, I had some fun friends that went into uh, either the oil field or the government field. And in the oil field, you made good money. You were gone all the time and you used the latest techs. Or you're in government and you made no money and you're always home and you worked from technologies from 30 or 40 years ago. So I realized that like neither was a very good fit for me. Um, so I uh, did some sales things and then eventually pinged over to real estate sort of um, actually on accident. I was telling a friend to go be a real estate agent. He's like, nah. So I did it. <laughs> and it was 2000, 2016, I believe that I was my first year in real estate. Um, it was a, I, I, I kite surfed a little too often and, and didn't make enough prospecting phone calls. So I, I think I made $1,200 my first year. Uh, so big, big money. Uh, the year after I kicked it in gear, we started up a real estate team. Actually, no, I didn't that year. I, I, I worked my tail off. I think I sold 45 houses my second year, worked my tail off, enjoyed it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll go bigger. I'm going to build a real estate team. And so we got up to 120 sales or something. I had a uh, half dozen agents and I didn't like my job anymore. And uh, that sort of, the end of that year is when I realized that um, I needed some changes. So I had happened to flip three houses that year. Uh, as, as you mentioned, by accident. And so I looked at my taxes and I'm like, wow, 
I made like a third of my money working like 20, 20 minutes a week. And so the combination of not liking my job and doing taxes and realizing that most of my money came from something that I hardly did, I, it was a, that was a fast pivot. Um, so right. we let some people go and a lot of people left us because they're like, what on earth is this guy doing? So my team went from 22 to three people, I believe, in about six months. So th- this makes no sense to me because I, I, know, I know realtors that will work their whole career to try to get to a level of sustainable deal flow to close 15, 20, 25 deals a year. And you're saying year one, you kite surf too much. You didn't really take the job seriously. Year two, you're like, all right, well, I guess it's time to turn it on and close 45 units. I mean, that's pretty unheard of, even if this was happening in one of the best, you know, bull real estate markets that we've seen, you know, basically over the last 10 years, it's been a bull real estate market. But how in the hell did that happen that you went from like kind of zero to hero in the real estate space just on your own? I mean, I know you grew a team and that came later, but from zero to 40 deals in a year, there's some realtors right now that are rolling their eyes, either saying like, ah, he's got family money or, uh, you know, all of those were friends. And like, how does that happen? That doesn't even, that doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah. I think I closed two houses that I knew. <laughs> I didn't know anybody I worked with. And I was also 24 years old. So none of my friends had money. Um, and uh, my wife worked, so we live off her income. And so for me, it, it went from, didn't have to be a job. It had to be, it was fun, right? So for me, I called for sale by owners and expired. Um, I used Mojo Cells and I called 600 people a day three, four hours a day and wait, bang, 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 bang. 600 people, 600 dials a day. Yeah. 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 It's not that hard. Right. So, so the key, the key is like use technology to your benefit. Um, so a lot of people will literally pick up their phone and they call people. I mean, I'm going to call, I'm going to call 10 for sale by owners today. And that's their, you know, you go through sort of the numbers and that, you know, I'm going to do these ridiculous things, but the key is if you can find out how to do it more effectively, think time, don't think number. Um, and so for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to prospect at first it was two hours a day. So I call and Mojo sells is a program, um, bunches of people use it. So if, if you're, you know, if you're a real estate agent out there, I, I'm sure it's still available. It's a triple line dialer. So you can call three people at once. And so it calls three FISBOs at the same time for sale by owners and whoever picks up, you start talking to. Um, and so I just had conversations and my goal was to talk to every for sale by owner once per week within an hour of my house. <laughs> it was, it was crazy, but yeah, just called for sale by owners. I had conversations and that was it. Um, I invited myself over. Um, one key I did is I gave them lock boxes. So I'd go check out like 30 lock boxes and I, and, and I had open houses signs that were unbranded. So I just called people. I'm like, Hey, you want, you want signs? You want lock boxes? You can try selling it yourself. And I'll go drop the stuff off to you. And if you ever need help, just give me a call. And so like mine was just, just make tons of phone calls. And I, I think 35 of them probably were people I didn't know. Most of them were listings actually. Um, and I'd get double, right? So it was probably like 25 listings and half of them would buy with me too. And then I, I think I had maybe three or four or five friends that year. Um, so you so went, it was very, you went from zero to 25 listings in a year just by, you know, effectively. And I hate to say this being that annoying person who gets somebody on a call list because they're a FISBO for sale by owner, or it's an expired or something like that. And you're like, it's just a numbers game. I'm, I'm going to be personable. I'm going to talk to as many per- people as possible. I'm going to add value with the lock boxes in the open house, spend a couple hundred dollars on those. 
Yeah. And, uh, and we'll just see where the chips fall. Yeah. And the key, like sort of the old school 1990s version is like dial, dial to their dead, you right. know, but I wasn't selling anything. So the, the, the key is like, you have to, you have to give them something for free. You have to offer something to them. Otherwise it doesn't work well. And I've learned that in life sort of as goes on, the more you can give for free, the better things work out, the easier job is. Um, so if you call feeling like it's a sales call, they're going to feel like it. And if it's painful for you, it's painful for them. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, the, the key I found is just like get a few dials out of the way and then just have a conversation. So we weren't doing like crazy scripts. It was, it was just calling to see how their home marketing is going. If there's any questions they have, um, you know, my, my goal is not to be a salesperson. Amazing. Amazing. And, and I mean, there's a method to the madness, but considering you didn't have a sales background, you got a, you got a college degree in geology, you kind of pissed around your first year of real estate. What was the aha moment or the epiphany or the YouTube video you watched or the Tim Ferry training that you went to? What was the thing that gave you the confidence to be like, all right, I've got this system. I'm going to give away some stuff for free. I'm going to make 600 dials a day and I just won't be stopped. Like what, what shifted? That just doesn't even, I, I, I can't, I can't rationalize that one night you just woke up and you're like, all right, no more windsurfing. I've so, got this laid out plan to make this happen. Yeah. I mean, I think the first year I wasn't really trying to make money and I'm okay with that. So I, I've learned that in life, a lot of it is just giving stuff for free. Um, and in my mind, I needed to know a little bit about real estate before I called every for sale by owner in the world and said, I'd like to sell your property or help you because I didn't know what I was doing. So I did lots of research, uh, everything from legal to scripting to transactional processes. Like when you get a contract, what happens? Um, and a lot of that came sort of by accident. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say the first, first year was very much educational, but I don't think I worked more than 20 hours a week. Um, but I also didn't try, like I didn't prospect. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, coming out of college or getting into real estate, you kind of took what a lot of people would consider a gap year, right? Like a, a year of kind of self-exploration, self-education. Like I'm going to learn all this stuff so that when I hit the ground, I'm really hitting the ground running instead of, uh, instead of crawling. It's like that kind of that college gap year, right? Where like a professor was like, all right, well, I've been a teacher. Now I have to become a grant writer or I need to go into the field and teach or I need to do something. So let me just take a year, get my head on straight, get some education, read a bunch of books, and then I'll come back stronger. Is that, did you do that on purpose? Was it accidental? I think it's a bit of both. Um, part of it, my wife worked at a charter school. And so she was working like ridiculous hours. So I was the homemaker. I was making dinner and doing the dishes. And she was also unbelievably stressed. So my goal was to be home as much as I could and, and help her out. Um, luckily, the second year of real estate is also when I took off. Um, she switched to a public school where she had a reasonable 45 or 50 hour work week instead of 70. Right. Um, so that, I think that that was a portion of it. That's sort of my attitude as well. Like I do a lot of research before I go like a hundred percent throttle. I'll do a lot of things with no education, but if I'm going to do it 40 hours a week, I've got to, I've got to, I'm going to sharpen my ax before I start chopping. Amazing, man. And, and tell me about these first couple accidental flips. You said one of them was an absolute nightmare. Uh, obviously you must've made some money on a couple of them. Cause you had that realization when you were doing your taxes of, oh man, the, the, you know, 10% of effort made me 90% of my income. Tell, tell us a little bit about those first couple flips. If you can go back in time, 200 properties ago. Yes. So I think my very first flip was, uh, I was on Taft in Spring Lake. Uh, it was this little house. I bought it for 55 grand. 
I think she had it listed at a hundred or 90. So I was actually her agent and she just was like, it, it was, it was challenging to see. Um, they, they were, they were in a tough situation. They were ready to move it to a different property. And um, for them, they cared a lot more about speed than simple, or they scared you know, more about speed and simplicity than they did top dollar. And so seeing their frustration with dealing with showings, I think, I think they had like three kids in this little tiny two bedroom home and several dogs. So after it didn't sell right away. And like, this is when there was three months of inventory, right? It was a normal market where people are still like thinking it's crazy hot at right. that time. Um, so I think they were on the market for a month or two and they're like, I can't do these showings anymore. So I, they needed a new septic tank, a new septic system. They needed a well, the whole house had to be renovated. But I started doing the numbers. I'm like, you know, I bought a rental property last year and I, I like painting. And so I'll, I'll buy it and I'll paint it. <laughs> so I bought it. I ended up hiring somebody to do the work. Um, but I did it just, just like help her out really. Um, and my goal was to make $20,000 on it. I thought that was really reasonable. My goal now is 30. Um, at the time I, I probably wouldn't have bought that house today, but I, I bought it, thought I could sell it for 120, couldn't get an offer, but I got a land contract offer at 120,000 with like 20 grand down. And so I took it. And she paid me right on time the first month and right on time the second month. And then didn't pay me for a year. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And I was an amateur, so I didn't know how to evict her. Right. So here I am in real estate for three years, had no experience. And I'm like, now I got a problem, solve this. So I hired an attorney. We uh, unfortunately had to foreclose on the seller and she pulled out everything. Wires out of the walls, cabinets, oh. furnace interiors, pulled the wires. I mean, it was like, filled the toilet with concrete and then pooped on it. Um, it, it was nasty. It was nice. above the rim as I recall, but yeah, I mean, that was like, then I got it back and I flipped it again. So my first house I flipped twice, um, which is pretty funny. I, I mean, it ended up financially profitable, but it took 24 months or maybe 18 months to, to make money. And like I did everything wrong. And it, in the end, I still made probably 15 or $20,000. Amazing. Uh, you know, yeah. So like it, that, most of the other deals were like that the first year too. It was just like, Oh yeah, Hey, this is, this could actually work. And so I just brought it up. I said, Hey, would you prefer a cash offer? Um, and so I used um, my first, my first year I sold 40 houses. We were lucky enough to live in a, about a hundred thousand dollar home. So I think our mortgage was $98,000. So instead of investing, I just paid my house off my first year. Uh -huh. And then we used the HELOC to flip houses. Um, Smart. But in hindsight, I wish it didn't pay my house off. And I wish I called some, you know, anybody and said, do you have money? I'd like to borrow it. But, oh, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Exactly. And so how do you decide, you know, I know there's that epiphany when you're doing your taxes. How do you decide so quickly? Like, I mean, 40 houses, even in a lower cost area like Western Michigan, where the houses are 100 grand, 200 grand, something like that. That's a lot of houses. That's a lot of revenue coming in. Um, you know, how do you shift so quickly and be like, Hey, sorry, team, this is not, what we're going to do anymore. We're going to go all in on flipping houses. Yeah. So my first year, so my, so my first good year, so my year I sold 40 homes, I think my average price point was probably 150 or something like that. So I don't know, it's probably 200,000 commission, um, which after you pay for expenses. And um, I don't think I had an assistant that year either. I didn't, I think the very end of the year I hired an assistant Um the second year or first year I had my team. Um, honestly, it was just like, really, it was hard. 
like I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy going to work. I didn't wake up excited. I didn't wake up like, you know, Scott, you and I are talking. I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like I get to talk to Scott. Right. But to me, it was like constantly just bombarding. I'm getting bombarded with phone calls. I was a broker. I started, um, this is my, the second year after I had the team, I'm like, Oh yeah, I have a team. You know, it'll make this better. I'll start a brokerage and a team and I'll, and that was a disaster and it was all my fault. And I still think that a team brokerage is probably the best model out there for creating effective income inside your systems with low overhead, but I don't think I'm a broker. Um, so I've learned, and I think this is what I really saw is I'm not supportive staff. I need to be supported. And unfortunately, when you're a team leader, most teams are built around the idea that your you support buyers agents by giving them leads so that they can go make money so that you get paid. Um, and you support lead generation to help listing agents go get listings so that your admin staff can do it. So your whole system is just built about basically an administrative support staff for agents and you just drop them in the business. It's a great model, but I'm not a support staff. I'm, I'm the, I'm the hunter. I'm the, I'm the visionary with the crazy ideas and I don't want to babysit. Yeah. You, so you're never going to be the chief, but you'll be a great hunter. Yeah. Yeah. So my new structure and I'll, I'll skip forward four years now. Um, we have two, we're a two headed team. So I, I brought on a partner um, after we shut down the brokerage, Tyler. So Tyler is very much my integrator where I'm the visionary. So if you've read rocket fuel, yeah, great book. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic book. And what we've realized is like, um, who's the, who's the author for that? Uh, uh, I don't know, Chris, you're gonna have to look this up rocket. Fuel. Yeah, it's great. But that's, it's, a, it's a fantastic book. So he also wrote the EOS system. Um, yep. If you if, if your listeners haven't heard that, but, but the idea behind it is you don't, one person doesn't have the personality to run all aspects of the business. So by breaking it up into two pieces, having the integrator, which is like the detail oriented, um, data driven perfectionist. And then you've got the guy that creates the mess, right? That's the Elon Musk. It's probably the Scott, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Hundred percent. It's, it's, Gino, it's myself, right? Gino Wickman. Gino Wickman. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Gino Wickman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's for so, every for every Walt Disney who is the visionary. If uh, Roy Disney isn't there making sure the accounting gets done correct. and the money gets raised and the contractors get paid, uh, then Walt Disney does a couple cartoons and that's the end of it. Yep. Yeah. So I brought Tyler on board, and I realized like he's he's a much better leader than I am. And so where I can kind of rally the troops and come up with really good ideas, he's actually good for keeping people accountable. So we're in the process of basically firing myself. Um, I'm probably six to nine months away from being 10 hours a week instead of 20, maybe 25. Um, but we have a sales manager, an operations manager, and then um, I sort of sit in like the crew management seat right now, which will probably hire out in six to 12 months. Um, but that's been the the big piece is like creating departments so that they can run it themselves and then have Tyler lead the departments. Um, and it's something I didn't do before. I was trying to do everything and right. no one can do everything. No, well, anyway, absolutely impossible. And so what, tell me about, um, tell me about the flip business itself, right? So as we sit in 2022, um, and obviously you're blessed that you're in an area where, you know, the margin of error is not so big that there's a risk for ruin, right? Like you've, if you're flipping properties in the West side of Los Angeles, you can make a million yep. dollar mistake. If you screw up, I'm guessing it's a 20 to $30,000 mistake. You're so, right on the mark. Let me, let me tell you a story first. So Perfect. I, I sold a house on Van Buren 
Uh, I bought it for $91,000 uh, just about six months ago. And I'm like, this is a freaking slam dunk. Like I can put 35 grand, 40 grand into this sell it for 220. Like I thought it was the best deal I've ever seen. Right. There was a broken septic, which I didn't account for. And then during the renovation, my contractor calls me and he's like, dude, there's a trailer under this house. And Wait, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? And so it turns out they built a house over a manufactured home and it was built in 1969. So it didn't meet the FEMA or federal housing rules of like 1974 or 1976. So it had to be cash only. So my ARV dropped from 220 to 240 to 150. So I, I just closed on this last week and we lost $32,000. Oh my God. So wait, so somebody put like a trailer underground, like an escape hatch and then it, built a house on top of it? it? Well, yeah. So it was, it was, it was a, so it, it was a single wide and they built it wider, longer, and then made it a split level. And so oh, like shit. I walked in and I saw the house, it was drywalled. And I'm like, I had zero idea. It was, a, it was a trailer. Oh, Absolutely. Right. So I closed it. We did title work. And then, and then I went to go, um, I was just like, Oh no, I am an absolute buffoon, but Oh, well. So anyway, that is the biggest loss I've ever had flipping um, before that you're right on the notes. The great thing is with our market, our average price point today is about 280. Uh, we've got two different markets. I, I sort of call them by counties. So Kent County and Ottawa County is about 280, maybe 300 now. And then we go uh, Muskegon County and then Calhoun or Kalamazoo County is a Battle Creek, Muskegon area. And that's about 220, maybe 240. So it's a lot less. Um, it's the class C sort of uh, your, your population is dropping there or, or at least stable. And what we've seen um especially in West Michigan is, you know, just like everywhere else, tremendous growth. And right. in the, in our markets, what we do is no matter where we are, we try to keep our, our flips at less than the median price. So if it's a $300,000 home, we don't want to flip anything that ends at over 300 Got it. because people get picky. They want like cocked trim, which we do, but like they expect it. Right. When you sell a $200,000 home, they love cock trim. They didn't expect it. Right. And so we found that keeping it entry level is really important. So a lot of our flips, we are acquiring at 120 to 160 and we sell in the low 200s. Got it. So walk me through the math of, you know, you buy a house 120, I'm guessing all cash. You have an exit point of, you know, maybe, maybe you can sell it for 220. What's the in between? What's the carrying cost? How much are you putting towards renovation? How big does the pie get, you know, split up between support staff and owners and whatnot? Because, you know, you look at that and you're like, oh, I buy it for 120, sell it for 220. I made 100 grand. It's like, well, there was probably 40,000 in renovations and there were some carrying costs and there were some taxes and there was some, obviously you're a realtor, so you don't have to pay the realtor fee, but you maybe have to pay the buyer's agent. Walk me through if you go from 120 to 200. Uh, 100 to 220, let's just say. So we're using round numbers. What eats up that $100,000 gain? Yeah, let me let me give you a real example. Go for it. Um, here, let's see if I can even pull one up real quick. So I bought... Here we go. All right, so I bought a house in Kalamazoo on Ida. We'll give you that one. So... Um, on Ida, the real number, and this one has not sold yet, but I'll give you what it was. So we bought it for $81,000. Mm -hmm. We put, I think $22,000, maybe $24,000 into the rehab. During that time, we've spent about $4,000 on exterior landscaping and 
in interest and in, in ownership, basically. So we're at what is that? I'm doing my math right. I'm about 200 or I'm about $110,000. Yep. So Ida, this is a pretty good property for us. Um, we are currently at one, we have it listed at $150,000. So when we sell the property, um, interestingly, I, I actually hired a real estate agent, so I don't even list my own properties anymore. Um, and uh, so I, I work with a local agent. We used to be competitors. And so now we, we um, I don't know if we butted heads before, we just never saw each other. So we didn't get along, but um, now I've hired her and her team. So they list all of our properties. And um, so I don't do that work, but the cost of sale then sits at about, let's call it 6% between commissions, taxes, transfer taxes, all of that. So um, let's see, 150 times 0.94 puts us at 141. So if this closes where I expect it to, we just dropped it from 160 to 150. So I actually thought it was going to sell at 160, but the market's getting soft, which you can talk about. And it, we're now at 150. So we're going to make approximately $31,000 profit, um, which then goes to the team's bottom line. So after that, um, we of course have employee overhead, which have not accounted for. We right. paid the contractors. So we've got nine flip crews. Um, so the contractors are paid. I mean, we run our business this way, but not everybody does. We pay our contractors like contractors. And as soon as the property is bought or sold, they're not involved. Um, so if contractor A does half a renovation and goes on vacation, I can send contractor B in with no no issues. But after it's been sold, then I've got um, a salaried transaction coordinator. I have a salaried salesperson that also earns quarterly profit bonus and an annual total bonus um, based upon the total company profit. And then I also have uh, my partner, Tyler, um, who owns a portion of the company. Mm -hmm. So then he and I split the profits quarterly. We just do a withdrawal uh, whenever really whenever we want to do it. Got it. So, so all said and done, if I make a dollar, I probably see 30% of it, something yeah. like that. I was just going to say, it sounds like yeah. after the, after the net net, which is about 30,000, maybe a third goes to overhead, third goes to your partner and or bonuses, you keep a third. So this is really a volume play because you got to flip. I mean, if you're making 10,000 a property, you got to flip a lot of properties to make, you know, the kind of living that we want to make. Yeah. And, and what I've realized is the longer people work with you, the more efficient they are. So the problem is if I hire an employee today, I don't see any of their profit for like nine months, mm -hmm. right? They're more, they're super expensive to hire at first. And so our transaction coordinator came aboard nine months ago. And like today I'm like, man, this is great. I spend like two hours a week in transactions and I feel so, so good about it, right. but it was harder work to get her there. And so like a lot of the expenses of of salaries come are front loaded. And so what I've really learned is it's important to overpay. So all of my employees, I think are overpaid and we've got, um, I didn't mention this, but we've got five VAs in the Philippines um, and then are four or three local employees. And so I think all of them are overpaid by any measure of their position. Um, and so I think that's the key for me is overpay and hire better. Um, I think a lot of people sort of like how cheap can I go to get whoever could do the job? But I like to prefer, you know, to, let's find the very best and pay them more than they deserve. Yeah, I love that. Because then to your point, it's like you get A players, they stay on longer, less overhead for replacement costs, for retraining costs. I mean, this is this is just a, a very smart business model. Yeah, and I, sharing profitability is so important. So tell me more about my that. Sale, 
yeah, so my sales guys paid a paid a good a good profit. Um, and I'll just give him as an example, and I'm not going to go into specifics, but he's paid a living salary. So if he didn't make a penny, he'd be fine. Um, I probably should pay him less. Like in my mind, I'd probably pay him like 2,500 bucks a month or something like that. Um, but I, I wanted to steal him from the company he worked for. Nice. So in order to do that, I had to pay him a living salary to start with. So unfortunately I kind of locked that in. If I'm smart, I may have adjusted it, but I needed to steal him. So then I pay him um, a percentage quarterly that the company earns plus a an earning. So like, and I don't even remember the numbers, but if we make a half million dollars, he gets 20 grand or 50 grand or something like that. Right. And if we make like, and it gets, it's more and more profitable because our goal is actually to move him into like the operating manager, mm-hmm. sort of to move it, to run everything. Um, so the more profitable we are, the higher that bonus gets um, for us it's important. So Tyler and I have sort of the vision of moving Matt into this sort of CEO or maybe COO role. Mm -hmm. And Tyler and I want to go acquire businesses that either fit vertically or are passive enough that we don't have to be unbelievably hands-on in management. So we're very interested in business acquisition and I'd say the next year to two years. So give me some ideas how that might work because I know vertical integration is like one of the big buzzwords, right? Like Starbucks want to be vertically integrated where they own the coffee fields, the supply chain, maybe even the manufacturers of the equipment they use. They want to run the stores. Maybe they want to own all the real estate now. In in your land of flipping, which I have to imagine, no matter how good you are at your job, Eventually, maybe we run out of properties in Kalamazoo, Michigan, right? So, like, what is what is vertically integrated look like for you, and how do you how do you continue to scale when, at the end of the day, there's a finite number of properties for sale in your tri county area or what have you? Yeah. So, let me start with a real estate team because I think I think brokerages are like the ultimate vertical center, and and I'll give them as an example first. So like brokerages will have an MSA with a lender. They'll have a, um, a portion of ownership with insurance companies. They'll have their own um, in-house home inspector. They'll have, uh, they'll own the building um, and then rent it to um, subsidiaries, which want to be next to real estate agents. And so like brokerages are fantastic because they don't make money most of the time. They're right. loss leaders for the profitable businesses. They own the title company, right? So if you look at like the 300 agent brokers, they might be making a couple hundred grand a year, but their title company will be making like a million. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny, by the way, because Compass Real Estate is figuring this out right now. You know, they IPO'd at $20 or $30 a share. They're currently like $3 a share because they thought, they thought like, well, if we scale this like a tech company and we get all of the agents, will be super profitable. And I remember at the beginning of Compass, because uh, they started in New York and then kind of broke through to California, they were like, we're never going to have in-house lenders. Our agents are autonomous beings. They can do whatever they want. Well, now all of a sudden they own an escrow company. And all of a sudden yep. they signed a joint venture with guaranteed rate to create, um, I can't remember what it's called, uh, some affinity mortgage program. And it's like, they, they're starting to realize that like, oh no, we went into a very low margin business. And it's cool that we had all this venture capital money that we could burn through in order to build an amazing brand. And I do think Compass is a great brand, but their stock price is reflective of the fact of they haven't figured out how to make money yet. Um, 
and uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Because they're a brokerage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brokers, brokers don't make brokers money. Brokers are broke, yeah. Brokers yeah. are broke till they start owning other businesses. Right, right. Yeah. So, so, so opening, opening honest, a brokerage is a good way to go broke unless you can immediately go vertically, vertically integrated with the title company, the escrow company, the insurance company. So what does that look like for you in the flipping business, especially since you just said, I gave up honest, the real estate file? I don't really know yet. Oh. So I <laughs> at, at, at this point, so we have a... We have a, uh, a relationship with a title company because we do, you know, 60 flips means we're doing 120 transactions plus we're, we're acquiring. So we're probably in the range of 150 transactions a year because um, we're buying and selling. Excuse me. So we have, you know, we make not a lot of money from a, a title company. Right. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of impact. We've thought about like credit repair. We've thought about lending relationships and starting, you know, like Scott, you know, Hey, how do we work with you? The problem is the people we're working with are broke. Right. So unfortunately going that route doesn't often work. So the things that we're thinking about are um, trash companies. So like, what if we run a dumpster um, run a dumpster company? Cause that to me, and I actually turn this around. I don't want the dumpster company to make money. I want to have, the, I want to own the industry because the dumpster company is often the very first person to know about the per property that's going to be flipped because they're cleaning out their great aunt Betty's, you know, living room and they're going to sell it. Love that. So in my mind, I'm like, maybe we could open up a dumpster company and have it be the loss leader for the flipping business. And that's what I've realized is because flipping is so profitable. It's like, what businesses can we open that can feed the flipping business, which is the opposite of the brokerage mentality. It's what businesses we can we open around the brokers that actually make money right and so at this point i to be honest i'm not really sure we thought about contractors we thought about handyman businesses um it works really well for acquisition so like we buy you know lots of property so in my mind i see that sort of sort of a horizontal slash vertical in terms of um you know we acquire things for our personally owned portfolio because of leads that come through the flip business um but yeah, that's something I'm still trying to figure out is like, we have this big team with a lot of capability and fluctuations in businesses. And the things I often tie it to is lead, it's right back to lead generation. It, right. Um, you know, I, and to sort of brag, like, and I shouldn't even say this because Tyler would kill me. So Tyler, Tyler and I have talked about developing a tech stack and actually creating an education course to like create a fran, not a franchise. I'm anti-franchise. I am... I'm like, here's everything we have, go use it. Like to me, that seems really fantastic. And I like that idea. And I see that as a very good profit center, but I also don't want to, because if I give that away, I will lose my market share. Right. Or you just don't give and, it away in Michigan. Yeah. Well, yeah. But that's hard though. That, you know, how, how do I ensure that, you know, Scott's not buying it for some guy in, <laughs> in my territory. We'll, we'll talk offline. I'll tell you all about how that works. All right. I love to hear about it. Yeah. So I've got ideas, but at this point I've, I've, I'd love to hear your perspective on the best way to make money. Cause yeah, we've got, we've got crews available. We're generating tons of leads and we've tried selling or referring listing leads out. But the problem is because we generate like the crappy, ugly, low dollar value, they're mm -hmm. hard to refer out. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's something else we've had a lot of trouble with. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking of some things, you know, property management maybe, right. Cause it's like, well, if you're going to, if you're going to lose a tenant, you're most likely to lose them to them buying their first entry level low dollar house. So you kind of yeah. you kind of create your own stream of buyers. 
Um, the realtor you're working with is going to hate this, but that's probably the first thing I would take back. Like if you're giving somebody three or four or five or 6% off the top, like why wouldn't that be coming to you guys? Um, and then, yeah, the, the contractors are interesting because a good contractor is worth their weight in gold. You know better than I do. You yeah. know, half of the half of the contractors are dishonest and the other half are slow and come in overbid, right? So, yeah, so just... let me back up, let me back up to the agent too. So this, this I think is really important. So I've had a lot of people say the same thing. Right. And, you know, we're not allowed to talk about commissions here, specifics, but the right agent that sees an investor that asks zero questions understands the, how lucrative that relationship is because 60 flips at any value. Right is a lot of money, right? So what we realized though, and what I pitched was you get to put signs on the door or in the yard, you get all of the calls, all of the buyers and you pay, or you get the full buy side commission if you sell it. Makes sense. And I'm going to give you access to the property before it's finished. So all of your buyer's agents know it's coming. And so what we were able to do is create a win-win relationship where she could charge very, very little Ah, that makes sense. Because and- she she saw like, oh, 60 flips, I'll double side 10 of them. I'll get hundreds and hundreds of buyers leads. Yep. And it's zero work because I call case once a week. And and the reality is the way to get listings is to have listings. So if they're yeah. listing one, two, three Main Street, you know, one, two, yeah. five, one, two, seven, one, two, nine, they're gonna have conversations with all the owners on that block. They're probably picking up if they're good. They're probably picking up another, you know, of your 60 listings, they, they should be picking up another 20 or 30 listings in the neighborhood every year at full realtor comp. And if they're not yeah. doing that, introduce us and I'll give her some lead generation techniques. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the greatest testimonial too, right? So right. I, you know, like our team is so good. We have flippers that are agents that hire us. Yeah. Like it's the, it's the perfect testimonial. Yeah. We, we literally list other agents properties. Amazing. I love that. That, that, that is good stuff. So yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to think, um, you know, again, courses that are geographically contained, like I've got a buddy, he owns a company called platform. Um, and they do, they do marketing for, um, realtors, but he wrote a book called a uh, high hanging fruit. He's like, we want to make you locally famous and get you in front of people because as soon as they become low-hanging fruit and they opt into a Zillow lead form or whatever, they're getting bombarded, right? You know, I, I remember reading a stat that there was like 5 million closed transactions a couple of years back and Zillow sold 100 million leads. So then you put yeah. in, you know, lead pops and Wyalopo and Commissions Inc. and all these other, for every house that sold, that lead is probably sold somewhere between 50 and 100 times. Yeah. So so his thought process for agents is hey, we're going to we're going to look at the high hanging fruit. We're going to create a one or year one or two year pipeline of people that like want to get to know you and want to have real estate conversations so that when it is at that moment of impact, they're not even filling out the Zillow long form lead, you know, trying to get bombarded by agents. And he's very successful. His name's um uh Chermack, uh Mike Chermack. We we talk all the time on Facebook cuz he's also like a raving libertarian. Um and so uh his his platform, not, uh no pun intended cuz the name of the company is platform is is amazing for that reason and um and what he does is he only sells geographical areas so if you sign up with him you guys look at a map you look at zip codes you do this and he's like you're only authorized to like be my agent in this area so maybe you know if you do if you do create a geographical funnel um you figure something out in that range i like that 
Yeah. It, it, so understanding leads is really important. So especially as the market's changed and, and I'm interested to hear from you sort of from the lending perspective. So before interest rates would drop, it's very much like I'm going to refi now or I'm not going to refi, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the rates dropped a ton. So it, it is about relationship, but you're also, I don't, I, the lending side is interesting, but for me, our average, like acquired to lead to close is probably three weeks. Wow. That's it's very cool. fast. It's very fast because distressed is now, right? So right. we have three, three distresses. We got family, financial, and physical property distress. And they go away quickly because people lose property, lose family, lose money, or they find it again. And when people run into a situation where two of the three or all three of the three are checked at the same time, it's like, I need to make a decision right now, tomorrow at the very, at the very latest. And right. so like you have to be there and that's where sort of omnipresent marketing is really important. Um, but interestingly, like, I think our longest follow-up is 14 days. Amazing. Yeah. yeah my- so like we don't, we don't push it afterward, which is completely the opposite of most real estate business or lenders as, as I imagine anyway. Right. Right. Cause my business is more like develop a relationship with a realtor, finally break through months later where they'll send me a lead. That yep. lead takes a while to get pre-approved. Then they're in the funnel for a few months looking. And then maybe they decide to stick with you when they actually make the offer. And then you make offers and then you eventually get a deal accepted. Then 30 days later you get paid. Like I'm I'm currently either digitally or through follow-up and technology systems. You know, I'm nurturing agents that I met a year ago who we yep. have yet to close a deal with. Um, And and then it's like, then you put in all this energy and if it just so happens, the first couple leads they send you are absolute duds, are never going to buy a house. That realtor is like, oh, well, Scott sucks as a loan officer. I'll I'll move on to somebody else. So it's like, I will frequently, you know, nurture leads or try to stay in front of people or nurture real estate relationships because that's kind of the gift that keeps giving for us where, you know, you'll work on that relationship for a year and I'm not kidding. I don't give a shit how good you are. It is a 50-50 coin toss as to whether or not you're going to close that first deal and now move into like this rock star relationship where you're in relation, you're getting all their leads or it's just human nature. If the first couple don't work out, they will inevitably blame the the, the provider that they provided those leads to. And there, there's really not a whole lot of way around that. So yeah, we have a totally different business model. Yeah, so what's fascinating though is, and I'll give you a secret. We bought 14 houses off the MLS in the last 12 months. Really? And we made good money. It's, it's our most profitable lead source right now. And people tell me all day long, like you can't find properties. We bought 14 of them and we do it through both agent relationships. So we call people and tell them, hey, we'd like to write a cash offer, um, an agent, and let us know if that number ever works. And it's amazing, but sometimes it does. Right. Um, so we are we're aggressively reaching out to existing agents, but we also ask for a lot of referrals. This morning, I had I had an agent Matt called me, and he's like, he's not even my brokerage. I I don't think I've ever met him yet. Um, but we did a deal two years ago, and the seller uh, put it on the market. I think they underlisted it, and um, I gave him a cash offer. I said I'll split the profit with you. And I'll buy it a cash offer. It was like, I'm on board. And so we bought it. He made an extra 15 grand. The agent was thrilled. And he just called me this morning. And we do that through just constant conversation. So like we have our CRM and CRM is a fascinating conversation, but we have our CRM and we drip agents. 
And I call agents and my salespeople call agents and we have conversations with agents because they send us referrals uh, because they're, they're going to send us the properties they don't want to list. And right. then we give them a commission for it, even yeah. though I'm an agent. Amazing. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm trying to balance two thoughts that we've talked about. One is you're working 20 hours a week. You really value your family time. You want to be on the road four months out of the year. How does that coincide with, ooh, somebody's going to call me and I need to be at their dinner table tonight so that they can make a decision because they just lost a family member, they're broke and they know this house is going the direction of foreclosure and there's rats living in the back bedroom and like this is a perfect opportunity. How do you balance those two lifestyles where it's like, I want freedom, I want to work less hours, I want to be on the road with my family four months or four months out of the year and oh shit, if somebody texts me, they might need a consult tonight at their kitchen table. So I don't, I don't go to consults um, almost ever. So today I went to my first consult in like maybe six months. It's been a long time. Um, And it was a vacant house and it happened to me in the area. So our system, I'll kind of talked about my team. So we have a, we have a sales manager. We have full-time sales caller. I've got four VAs that are pre-texting. So they text as the salesperson and then transfer the lead when they're hot. Cause my sales guy doesn't have, like we do enough lead gen, he doesn't have enough time to deal with all the text messages. So our VAs do it until they're hot enough to go to the sales guy. So the sales guy then, um, and, and Scott, I'll just treat you like the or like the seller right now. So if we're having a conversation. You've indicated that um, you have interest in selling. And so we ask for pictures. We say, hey, can you send so, me a picture of the house? Good question. How did I get even introduced into your funnel as a potential seller? You know, because because we've never we've never met before, and it turns out yep. my aunt Betsy dies, and it's the first time I've been over to her house in two years, and I'm like, holy shit! She was a hoarder. There's three dead cats in the back bedroom because her health was failing. Like, how do we even get connected to where the VA could be texting me? Literally anything. Okay. Um, and so the reason I say it, we do everything. So we do um, radio, Google ads. Um, I've never done newspaper. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I should print, try it. Print ads but, are dead. Print yeah, ads are dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, it's cheap now, though. This was interesting about it. So, um, yeah, we do Google ads, uh, retargeting, postcards. Now, interestingly, I don't mail, which I don't mail cold lists. I only right. mail people that have submitted their information to me. So, Scott, okay. if you send me your information, I mail you six times once a week, six weeks in a row, um, because. I only convert one of eight or one of nine leads that come in. So the other seven, I need to mail them constantly until they either decide not to sell or call us again. So yeah, we literally do everything. There's no right or wrong when it comes to your audience sort of choosing. Um, But yeah, we do, we do everything. Um, But yeah, so the lead comes in, uh, talks first to my VA. If they call, it goes right to my sales guy. Um, And then they, they, answer the phone call. So Matt, then um, we'll have a conversation or the VAs have a conversation. And what we do is we just ask for details of the home. We ask for a rough idea of what they think the home is worth. Um, And then after we've got them on the phone, we give them a ballpark offer. So let's say, Scott, your house is worth 200K. So we realize that it's actually worth 170. And we're about, you know, we can offer 135 on it. Um, And so Oftentimes the seller will say they want something knowing that it's worth a lot less. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do is weed through the conversations and determine which ones are okay for an appointment. So we have three or four different people that we can hire. um, And uh, they're all paid by the appointment. So we hire them to go see the house. 
uh, take pictures of the house. We use a program called Company Cam. And so they take pictures of the home. We get notifications when those pictures come in. And then my sales team then analyzes the photos, um, confirms the ARV, and then estimates the rehab. And what we do then is we just confirm our offer. Um, so at that point, we say, okay, Scott, you know, you agreed 135. I can, I can hit the 135 number. Or we come back and say it's a little, you know, the home unfortunately needs more work than we expected or we didn't realize it. It was on a super busy road. And so then we just have a conversation and, and you know, determine does your number and my number match? At that point, we do a text offer. Um, that's been very important for us. Um, so we, you know, a lot of agents will use dot loop or uh, DocuSign. Mm-hmm. The problem is with emails, as you know, as well as I do, emails are open at like a really small rate, like three or 4%. Mm-hmm. Even if they're looking for it, it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. So we text our offers and we use a uh, program. I think e-signatures.io is what we use, but that we cre- create a, a template, we send them an offer, they e-sign it, and then we're able to start moving forward depending on the property. And if we were able to see the inside or we had a contractor go through, we may ask for a contractor walkthrough inspection period. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, we then send it to title company, get moving. So yeah, our, our average close time is about 21 days from uh, contract to acquisition. And I think our lead to contract is probably five days would be my guess. Wow. Wow. So, you know, there's some people that would be maybe rolling their eyes or I don't know, have taking issue with this where they're like, well, you know, um, at the end of the day, case is really just like a rent seeker. You know, he's, he's taking advantage of people when they're at their lowest point, you know, they've lost a family member. They're in, they're in dire straits financially. And he's just, he's just a rent seeker. He's not really adding value, right? That, that's what I think the criticism of your business model would be. What, mm-hmm. what's the upside for the person that's looking to sell, right? Because, because the argument yeah. might be like, well, you know, case, why, why aren't you, why aren't you just being a better man and advising them? Hey, put $20 of renovations into the house and you could sell it for two ten instead of one thirty. Like you don't really need me, man. Find a good realtor, yeah. find a handyman that can get this shit cleaned out and, uh, and sell it in three months for an extra $50,000, which I'm guessing to a lot of these people is a significant amount of money, um, yeah. on the upside. So, so, yeah. so counter no, the naysayers. A, it's a great question. I, th- I think the key is to start with transparency. Like, and we're honest with them. Like we give them our full value. We say, yep, we agree with your valuation of 180, or we say, we think you're high or low or whatever it is. Um, and then we give them an offer. We tell them exactly what we're going to do with the property. Um, 99 times of a hundred, we know if we're going to flip it or we're going to rent it. Sometimes there's weird things where we'll change our mind. But we all we offer the seller the opportunity to come through and, and view the home, which is often pretty cool after it's been rehabbed. Um, but I, I do get that perspective sometimes. And the most agents that have that perspective or most homeowners that have that perspective have never seen a distressed house. So the distressed homes that we buy, um, I'm buying a house on Friday. Um, I, this is from an agent referral, actually and the basement's full of poop. Um, like literally the stuff is full of poop. Um, the windows are broken, the yards overgrown, the, the roof is leaking. All of the windows need to be replaced. If they put it on the market, it'd be cash only. Right. And because it's an estate and because they're worried about people going through the property, they want an agent to be present at every single showing. And so for them, it's made sense to say, I'm willing to take a little bit less And often what we find is when it's a cash only sale, we're often able to pay as much or more 
than they would have gotten on the market. Uh, because if it's a cash only sale, an investor is going to buy it like 80% of the time, right, right, not a homeowner. And so when that happens, most investors are looking to flip the house. And then, then we have to pay real estate commissions. And so very quickly, like we've seen it before, uh, like I'm like, oh yeah, we'll give you 70 or 80 or 90 grand. And then they put it in the market for 120 and I see it sell for 85, like six months later. I'm like, oh, thank right. the Lord I didn't buy that. Right, um, right. But it happens. And, and so these distressed properties, um, often it's the only thing they can do. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one precise example. This is one of the very first homes I sold. I met a seller on March 30th, I think. Maybe March 31st. I forget what day is the last day of state redemption. So she was two years behind on taxes in Michigan. Um, that means that you lose your property two years and one day after having it paying no taxes. So March 30th. Yeah, I met her on March 30th. No, it was the 31st. It was a Friday. And I bought her house on Friday. Um, I met this lady. I drove her in my personal car all the way to the county. I paid her taxes for that year so that she didn't lose her home. And I closed on the property a week later. She walked away with, I don't know, 15 or 20 grand and literally thought she was going to get nothing. Um, And so like there was no option for a traditional sale for her. And we see stuff like that all the time. You know, there's, there are two weeks left till redemption. I spoke to a guy today and um, he, yeah, I think they lose their property in 12 days. So we don't have time for title work probably. Um, So we have to go through and and decide if it's a good fit, do the title work ourselves. But yeah, those are the situations where we're working. It's not um, very few people are traditional homeowners looking to sell fast uh, right. because we do pay less. You know, they're, they're the people that are in real trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, yeah. um, you're really the emergency parachute. It's like, if, if, yeah. if, if, if case is getting a call, the, the, the primary shoot and the plane and everything has failed and, uh, you're going, yeah. you're going to either save the day and yeah, they'll have a little bit of a rough landing. They won't make as much money as they thought they were going to, but the alternative is they burn in and die. Yeah. Most people shouldn't talk to us. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. We're, yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not that, a good option for most people. That's the greatest tagline yeah. for a business yeah. ever. Most of you shouldn't talk to us. Yeah, yeah. Wait, but, are I mean, you the guy? Is, are you the guy behind WeBuyUglyHouses.com? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's fascinating too, right? Because they they actually have a lawsuit because they think they've come up with the slogan of "We Buy Ugly Houses." So they're suing a bunch of people that use that phrase if they don't if they're not part of a franchise, which is a very long story, but no, I, I don't have a franchise. So we are um, Zion REI. Um, and we uh, we're just like we buy homes or we buy ugly houses or whatever they are. Um, right. But uh, yeah, that that's, you know, I'm not the guy putting uh, this one form. I don't do, I don't put bandit signs on the side of the road. Right. So right. I don't but, do that. But similar business model, right? Like we buy. Ugly oh yeah. Homes it's, yeah. It's exactly the same. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to call them just to like go through their sales funnel and be like, all right, you know, my house is worth, uh, my second home up here in Henderson, Nevada is worth maybe six fifty. If we had to fire sell it on the open market, cause it shows really well, maybe we get 600. I wonder if they would offer me, you know, five fifty, five seventy, and they're just looking to make a quick 30 grand or if they would offer me, you know, four ten, cause it's not actually an ugly house. You know, you could sell it fast. I, I just, I kind of want to go through the funnel to see like how it works. So I, I do stuff like that and make sure you use a fake email or a real, you know, if you don't use your primary email because right, right. some of them sell leads. So like you'll see 
um, some of the major lead providers will run an ad and then they'll sell their advertisements, just like Zillow right. they used to do anymore. I don't know about today. They'll go to lead and they'll sell it to three different people. Yeah, and then the sure. problem is some of those people have six different agents call. So very quickly, you've got 20 people calling your cell phone. Um, what I do think is interesting though, um, there are some very good companies for lead generation. Solar is fascinating. If you want to learn how to do really good lead generation, do solar. Um, and another one you can look at is hard money follow-up. Right. So go apply for some hard money lo loans. <laughs> I did it by accident. I have been just pestered to death the last three weeks. Right. And, but yeah, doing it on purpose is great because you can get some really interesting ideas for adjusting follow-up campaigns. Yeah, that's amazing, man. So, so tell us what you're looking forward to, right? Like as the market is changing, you know, it's no secret. We're filming this uh, August of 2022. This will probably come out September, October, 2022. Since December of last year, your average interest rate went from about 2.875 to about five. So a really, really significant increase. So that's made it, you know, um, less obtainable for some borrowers. You know, it's definitely slowed down the market. Uh, in a couple markets that I service in Southern California and, um, the major metropolitan like Vegas Henderson area were for the first time ever seeing a fair amount of alerts come through, especially in those properties, you know, in Vegas, it's over a million in Los Angeles. It's maybe properties over 2 million where we're seeing some healthy price reductions and just like overall the velocity of money and the, the, the leads and the people closing on deals, it's just slowed down. Right? So now we have fewer closing deals, more listings, that's just a simple supply and demand curve of like prices have to either come down or stabilize or whatever the case may be. That's what we're seeing. So definitely a slowdown in activity and a, and a pretty massive slowdown in closed deals. Uh, but, you know, I also work low end five to $600,000 properties in Vegas and Los Angeles County, high end several million. What What is the market like in like average America where you're out in Michigan where you can still get a house for 200, 250 grand? What do you guys yeah. see in the market do? You can get a house for 35 grand in some of our areas. Doesn't make crazy? sense. Like ply, plywood to build a house costs more than 35 grand right oh, now. Oh, it does, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, so our again, our market is 280. And so our flips, we try to stick to the bottom 25% if possible. So I love buying a house at 70 grand, putting 30 or 40 into it and selling at 160. Um, like a really standard three bedroom, one bath home is perfect. So in West Michigan, uh, we've seen, I think, 22% year over year um, in uh, home price increases for the last two years. Wow. Um, it's been, it's been tremendous. It's our, our inventory was something like six days or maybe four days of inventory as of April or May, very tight. And for those people that don't know, a normalized market where there's kind of an average number of buyers and sellers tends to be about two to three months. You know, if you have yep. more, if you have more than a three month supply of house, meaning if an, if a single listing didn't go on the market, um, all of the listings would be sold within that average time frame. Two to three months, kind of normal. Over three months, considered a buyer's market. Anything under two months of supply of listings is really considered a seller's market. So you guys were a hyper, hyper, like yeah. hottest seller's market in the country if you had a four or five day supply of listings. Meaning if there's yeah. not a new listing on the market every four or five days, there's way too many buyers for the amount of houses that are going live. Yeah, so the, yeah, four, four, days of, four days of market means that if no one listed houses for four days, the inventory would be gone. Right. Every right. house is sold. <laughs> it's just, just crazy. And I remember a year and two or three months ago, 
the inventory dropped from like a month and a half at, at end of 2020, early 2021. And the inventory went from like a 1.2 months to 0.8. And I was just like, whoa, just crazy. And so when we got to six days, it was just like unbelievable. So today, uh, that was in April. Today, I think we're back up to three weeks of inventory and it feels soft. Um, And for me, that means that well-priced homes are getting like two or three offers, which is very low. Um, because in April we were seeing 20 offers. Um, so it was, it was, it's, it was strange. Um, but realistically we've seen probably a 10 to a 15% decrease in prices since April, Mm -hmm. um, which is incredible, but it's also only looking at six months. Do you mean, do you mean a 10 to 15% price in where things are selling comparative to where they were selling last year or a 10%, 10% drop in like where we thought listings should be? So you know, if a house sold last year for 180, no. is it selling right now for 150 or are we just not seeing that rapid appreciation that we were getting? Great question. Yeah, we're probably even is my guess okay. from about 12 months ago, but I would say we're down 15% from six months ago. Okay. Interesting. Um, and so I, so sort of overall economics, um, when interest rates are ridiculously low and there's no inventory, prices are going to go way up, Right. And I think today um, we're probably in an economic recession. Yeah, I, I think anybody who's, I, anybody who's not trying to be a mouthpiece for the DNC admits yeah. that we're in a recession. I mean, yeah. that's just, that's just so, financial fact. So, so that said, though, I think for many reasons, um, lack of new builds, uh, continued low interest rates, even if we're looking at 5%, um, a growing millennial population that's now making money, more children, um, we're going to see home prices, I think, stay quite stable. So in my mind, you know, the, the, any recession we have is going to be not very deep and probably not very wide. Um, so I'm, I'm bullish on single family and small multis, especially things that can be traditional, uh, financing. Like I love duplexes because if I buy a duplex, I think a homeowner can buy it, which I love. And so, yeah, we, we buy a lot of small multis, um, and I think it's a great hedge against inflation. So I'm dumping everything I can into real estate. Uh, but yeah, right now in general, market soft. Uh, we're seeing a lot less activity. We're running comps that we thought were selling at 170 and they're listed at 150 and haven't sold yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is the margin we have built in typically means that uh, you know 10% decrease in price we can we can absorb and we break even. Right, lose a little bit of money on. Um, so yeah, the key is like we turn our properties every I think 116 days is what we typically do from contract to resale. So as long as the market doesn't tumble like ridiculously fast, it doesn't scare me. Uh, we're not comp- we're not over leveraged uh, by any means. We do use hard money um, to purchase our properties. Um, a lot of actually personal investments. So Scott, we could talk another time, but we give our investors 10% interest annualized with a nine month term. We pay them ACH deposit every month. Um, so for us, we love it. Our investors like it because right now they're scared to death of the stock market. Right. Most of our investors don't like real estate. So for them, it's like, it's an easy check. It's no thought. And so I don't think they'll disappear, even though it's a nine month term. They just constantly turn their money. Yeah. Uh, I might be shipping you some money here in the next uh, couple months if you're if you're interested. And I've got a, uh, I've got a friend who does similar to what you're doing. Uh, he just relocated from California 
to, oh boy, I'm going to mess this up, uh, somewhere right outside of, it, right in between uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to look this up. But my buddy Ernest, I got to introduce you to because you guys, you guys could kind of exchange best practices. And he's on the contractor side. And for years, he was doing, you know, contractor work. And he's like, wait, I'm smart enough. I've got the capital. Why am I not just flipping the houses that these guys are making a mint on? Because he's making the $20,000 to $50,000 rehab at, you know, a 20% margin. And then he's beautifying a house that somebody's making a hundred grand on in California. Yep. And he's like, no, 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 I, I need to be on the flipping side of it. So I got to introduce you to, because uh, you would really hit it off and he's probably doing some great stuff. You're not and vice versa. So I'm going to make that introduction. Um, hey, I want, I want to close with, with two questions. Uh, one, you know, um, what are you looking forward to, man? Like, obviously we're going into probably a, a prolonged kind of, yes, a recession, but not a huge crash. We're going into an election season, which is always just frustrating for everybody. What are you looking forward to the second half of the year? On the 27th of August, my wife and I pick up a new camper. Uh, so we have a slide in Tacoma camper. So we're excited. So we're, we're leaving as a family of four for two months um, and then coming home for a little bit and leaving again. So I'm very excited about that. And I think it's going to do a couple things. It's going to ensure that I don't spend that I, I'm not immediately responsible for actions in the flipping business nice. and turning a flipping business into like semi-passive scares the crap out of me. Um, but that's very exciting. And in terms of my personal investments, um, I do a lot of value add investments. So I buy something for 50 grand, fix it up and put a tenant in it, but I don't cash out refi for quite some time. So in the next six to 12 months, I'd say, um, we're going to see a massive turn in, in actually making money due to passive income, which I'm very excited right. about. I've been doing, I've been doing 70 or $80,000 of rehabs every two weeks. So I'm, I'm ready to stop doing those. Amazing. So that, that'll be, that'll be a breath of fresh air. And then last but not least, cause I feel I'm a huge movie junkie. I feel you can learn a lot uh, about somebody by this question, favorite movie and why? Oh, yikes. I didn't expect that one. You're going to think this is ridiculous. Um, There's no ridiculous answers. We just got Van Wilder, so it doesn't get any more ridiculous uh, than that. I, I don't know about this. My son has been watching Cars. And I like Cars. Um, the movie. I think the children's movie Cars has a lot of good lessons sort of from family life where um, you need to put what's important first. And sometimes the things you love happen because you're not focusing on it. You're focusing on something else. Uh, but I think that's sort of a good lesson that, that we can all learn is, is sort of be a little bit more like a child. I also like that it's not scary, except for the big turbine guy who chases the car across the field. That's very scary for my four-year-old. But uh, I think if I have to be put blunt, that is my favorite movie at this point. That's <laughs> probably amazing. one of the only ones that's watched in the last six months. Well, house. by the way, you are in almost a hundred episodes. You are the first person to pick a cartoon as your favorite movie. So kudos. <laughs> you, are, you are thinking outside the box. I love it. Hey man, I want to have you on when you get back from your trip and I want to hear all about that and kind of the nomad lifestyle and the minimalist lifestyle you're setting up with your family. I think you gave people a lot to think about, about, you know, 
uh, flipping if they want to get into that business. What's the easiest way to talk to uh, talk to you if somebody wants to, you know, buy your program that you're going to build here shortly, or if they want to be an investor? Like, what's the easiest we're way not, to get in touch? We're with not you? doing that soon, or time. No, you're doing it. Me, but you're, you're so doing two, it. two two ways. Yeah. So we've got uh, my wife runs an Instagram page, Overland Investor, uh, or at Overland Investor. I'm not Instagram, so I don't really know. And then if you want to talk to me about investing or coming on as a partner with a flip, uh, you can go to www.overlandinvestor.com and we can have a conversation. Overland Investor. I love it, man. All right, dude, well, we're going to have you on in a couple of months. I want to hear all about your family journey and the new slide out. I want to hear how you possibly, over the course of two months, find a way to have sex with your kids in a tiny little truck. I, um, I am worried. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, hey, kids, you're sleeping in the cab tonight. Mom and I need the slider. <laughs> Turn on cars. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Turn on cars real loud in the front cab. Lock the doors. I'll be, I'll be back in four minutes. Um, I love it, dude. So uh, we'll talk soon, man. Thanks for being on, and we'll make sure that we put all the information to contact you in the show notes. Fantastic. Thanks, Scott.